Uh, two weeks from now, I'm excited because Jesse Dowdy will be here uh, bringing us the Word of God. And for those of you that have heard Jesse preach before, he, he's just a blessing. He is, he is passionate. He is energetic. He knows his Word. He loves the Lord, loves his family. And, and uh, it's always an opportunity to, uh, to grow and to learn something new uh, when, uh, when Jesse uh, come on, comes, comes up. So that will be Labor Day weekend. Uh, if you're looking for the date of that, it's September 2nd. But uh, today we are in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to read the passage, and then we will uh, we'll see what God has for us today. So, uh, listen to what the Holy Spirit wrote through the pen of Mark, starting in verse 1. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got in a boat to, on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears, let him listen. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those who are outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive, that they may indeed listen and not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Then he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others, seed, and others like seed sown on rocky ground, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They're short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others, like seed sown among the thorns, these are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for the things that enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seed sown on the good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Let's pray. God, what we don't understand, would you impart, Lord? Don't let us be like those who are on the outside, that everything seems like parables. Lord, uh, fill our minds with Christ. Give us the mind of Christ and help us to not only learn what this passage means, but help it to encourage us and to build us up as we go out into your mission field from here. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Well, in 1975... Uh, recording artist John Denver wrote a song that was an instant hit. Uh, it was, Thank God I'm a Country Boy. How many of you have heard that song before? Okay, like everybody's heard that song, right? Yeah, it, it, was, it hit number one on the Billboard's Hot Country Charts. But it was such a popular song that it didn't just hit number one on Billboard's Top 100 Country Hits. It went number one on Billboard's Top Hits 
of any kind of music. Uh, it has been covered by various country artists such as Billy Dean, uh, Brad uh, Joner, the Roadhammers, and Dolly Parton. It went international when the, when the Swedish Eurodance pop band called Rednecks put it on one of their CDs. And there's even, if you go on Spotify, there's even a Finnish version of the song sung in Finnish. It, it, it's, it's not John Denver, I'll tell you that, but it is pretty cool. And it even went Hollywood when Elvin and the Chipmunks covered it in 1981 uh, for for their movie. Uh, It was called uh, Urban Chipmunk. Uh, It was also covered by the Christian group Point of Grace. You know, it's a really fun song. It's done in 2-2 meter, which if you're not musical, that means nothing to you. But it it, it gives it its two-step feel, that, uh, that kind of that backbeat to it. And the reason that it's a hit probably isn't just because it's a fun song, but it's also probably because it describes this idyllic view that people have of country life. This Americana view of the amber waves of grain and the golden uh, uh, ears of corn in the fall waving in the wind and, and the, the big farmhouses that, that rival the owners of the cotton fields in, in, the, in the south and, and herds of cattle. It's this, it's this iconic view that we have. In fact, the writer of the song... His name was John Martin Somers. He was actually John Denver's string player. He played the, the fiddle, he played the mandolin, he played the banjo for, for Denver. He did all those, those sorts of things. He had this idyllic view in mind when he wrote it. Uh, he recalls that at the time he was feeling peaceful and happy and, and content with his lot in life and started uh, scribbling some notes down on a piece of paper. And it, it was the, the, the uh, spark that set the flame to, thank God, I'm a country boy. You know, the lyrics alone make this city boy think country living sounds pretty good. You know, the lyrics, uh, well, life on the farm is kind of laid back. Ain't much an old country boy like me can't hack. It's early to rise, early in the sack, What? Thank God I'm a country boy. Yes. Well, a simple kind of life never did me no harm, raising me a family and working on the farm. My days are all filled with an easy country charm. Yeah, well, I got me a fine wife. I got me a fiddle. And the sun's coming up. I got cakes on the griddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. Yes. Doesn't that just make you want to just sell your property and go buy a farm? Some of you are like, nah, probably not. But... It's a great song. Unfortunately, Denver's view of country life, especially farm life, is not exactly realistic. I've, uh, I've never been a farmer myself. That'd be an understatement. But I've known a lot of farmers in my life. And I've never uh, met any farmer that says that farm life is easy, laid back, or simple. It is hard work. In fact, it's rather difficult. There's almost always a sense of being one step in crippling debt. Farm equipment is very expensive. There's always this risk that you might not make a profit this year. There may be a drought. There may be a flood. There may be a tornado that comes in. Your crops just might not take off. Corn prices, bean prices can plummet. Farming today is difficult. But to the audience of Jesus, it was even more difficult. 
They didn't have GPS combines, and they didn't have these, these tractors that could do really cool things. And Jesus presents this with a parable, which is a fictitious story meant to prove a point. It's one that sheds light on why some people hear the gospel and completely reject it, and why some people hear the gospel and receive it with faith. Jesus wants you to be good nourished soil that is not only receptive to God's seed, but also flourishes, uh, flourishes under it. So, let's look at three ways we see this parable working out. The first is that we need to consider the sower. Consider the sower and the seed. Let's look in verses 3 through 8. Listen. Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since it wasn't very deep. And the sun came up, it scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground. It grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100-fold. So notice that Jesus begins his parable with this word, listen. It ought to tell us that this is important. Behold, check this out, guys. I have something to tell you. And the first thing that he tells them is to consider the sower. The sower was a gardener. The sower was a, a farmer, the one who is, who is planting his seed. And anyone uh, with a reasonable mind would look at this farmer's method and see the absolute absurdity of it. Because what kind of farmer or a gardener would not plow their field first? And what kind of farmer or gardener would not uh, know the difference between where they should plant their, their seeds and throwing it on a, a gravel ground? First, we need to know that in Palestine at this time, it was not uncommon for them to scatter seed and then plow to throw the seed out and then let the plow go in, uh, till the dirt up so that the seeds go in. And second, we need to remember that this is a, a parable. It's a relatable, fictional story. And sometimes it's an allegory. What's an allegory? An allegory is a story that takes characters or situations or events or, uh, or objects and makes them be sort of the representation of something in reality. And because Jesus here makes, uh, interprets this as an allegory, we must take it as an allegory as well. And in verse 13, Jesus makes it clear that the seed uh, represents the word. It represents the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us in his life, in his, uh, on, his, uh, on the cross, in his death, and in his resurrection. And in all of the, uh, the interpretations here, he never identifies who the sower is. And the commentators are all over the board here. Some say it's God the Father. Some say it is Jesus and I think the point here, though, that, that Jesus is trying to make is that the sower is anyone who brings the gospel to someone else or to some other people. And here's why I think that. Notice that the sower in the parable doesn't seem to be concerned with where he throws his seed. 
It, this wouldn't happen in real life. And obviously in real life, a farmer would be very considerate to not waste the seed because any seed he wastes, that's wasting money. But here it seems that this sower is generous in all directions that he, that he scatters it. That either tells us he doesn't care what happens to his seed or he's completely ignorant about what kind of soil he is uh, throwing the seeds to and he's trusting the results with God. And I think that is the biblical principle for evangelism or another way to, to use the word evangelism is sharing our faith in Jesus Christ with other people. We rightly affirm the absolute sovereignty of God, that he is in absolute control of all things. And because of that, we are to go out and we are to uh, tell the gospel to others not knowing who has rocky soil, who has fertile soil, who maybe has, has no root. But we are called to be faithful in sharing the gospel as we go out. But not only are we called to be the sower, but for those of us who have had the seed of the gospel planted in us, we need to be thankful people too. We need to be thankful that the Lord opened up our heart to hear the gospel, to receive it, and to grow in it, and to flourish in it. And we also need to be grateful that the Lord brought a sower into your life. When was the last time, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when was the last time that you thanked God for that person that he used to bring Jesus into your life? Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your father. Maybe it was your grandmother. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a professor. Maybe a camp counselor, a pastor. Some that maybe had absolutely no idea whether or not you were going to receive God's word with faith, but yet they were still faithful to God in showing you and telling you about Jesus Christ. So we need to consider the sower and the seed and be grateful. Second, I think this text tells us that we need to diagnose our soil. Diagnose your soil. You know, a few years ago, Julie and I had decided to make a garden in our backyard and uh, we had one when we lived in Nebraska, and for the most part, it did really well. I mean, after all, it's Nebraska, right? It's the home of the Huskers. It's where, yeah, that's right. And it's where uh, you, you drive through Nebraska, all you see is corn. It's known for its fertile land. But when we got here, we realized that our soil was not like our soil in Nebraska. For one, our soil in our yard is very, very sandy. Uh, water hits our yard, and it, it's, just, it's just gone. And we have parts of our yard that's actually very hard to grow grass because of how sandy it actually is. And secondly, when I tilled up that section of our yard, it was incredibly difficult for me uh, because the ground was so rocky. Some of the size of some of the rocks that I was pulling out of our garden just astounded me. But once we tilled up, we, we decided to go, we, we planted some stuff, and it was okay for that first year. It wasn't great. But we, but we did it anyway. And then the next year, we hauled in 12 yards of dirt, tilled it in, mixed it up, and that garden was much more, uh, much more productive in that year. The produce loved it, and guess what? The weeds loved it too. Isn't that right? And what did we learn? We learned two things. The first is that you have to know what kind of soil you have. And the second thing is, is that the quality of your soil 
really depends on what kind of product you're going to end up having when it's time to harvest. So when we think about our spiritual lives, we have to diagnose our soil. To not analyze the soil of your heart, the heart condition that you have, could eventually spell disaster and be a very dangerous thing. Uh, thing. And sometimes we cannot analyze what is going on in our heart until the storms of life come and threaten that farm. So notice here how Jesus, uh, Jesus offers, he, he describes uh, different types of soil. Let's look in verse 4 for the first one. In verse 4 he says, And he sowed, uh, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. You know, there are some traces in Israelite thought that they looked at birds as if they were evil for this sort of reason. Uh, they eat crops. They're the reason for scarecrows, which I think they've learned past that one. They're the reason why we put netting on our strawberry patch. They come and they eat all of our strawberries. It, it is a hard path that the seed falls on, and it's easy prey for the birds. Now look what Jesus says in verse 15. Some are like the word that's sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Satan will always try to interfere with the progress of God's word. He will always try to discourage us from following Jesus, hearing about Him, living in light of Him. Many that we bring the gospel to will completely reject it immediately as we tell them. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here out of obligation because this is something that you have to do. You hear about Jesus and it's in one ear, and then it's out the other ear, and you attribute this to absolute spiritual nonsense. When in reality here, Jesus is saying that your heart is hardened against God, and it needs to be softened. So we see Jesus talking about seed on the path. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, "...other seed fell on rocky ground." where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. You know, growing plants or crops is oftentimes very tedious. Now, how many of you that have had children um, may have had a time where they've come home from school or from a camp, and they have this styrofoam cup that's filled with dirt, and they said, I, I put a bean plant in there. And you take care of it in that cup, and it seems like it just takes forever for this little sprout to come up. And finally it does, but you had to wait a really long time. They could have just taken the seed, and they could have just put it in a wet paper towel and watched that sprout grow a little bit quicker. But unless it is taken care of from that point, immediately into the ground, it will not survive. Why? Because there is absolutely no root. You put it outside, the sun will dry it up and it will burn it up very quickly. 
And here, Jesus says in verses 16 and 17, he says, And others are like seed that are sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. They have no root. They're short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. You know, I think we have this crisis on our hands in the evangelical world that this misunderstanding that when people come to Jesus, that life is going to be easier, that it's going to be less difficult. Perhaps financially we're going to be better. Perhaps our health will be better. That when they're changed, life is going to get easy. In fact, in the famous Campus Crusade gospel tract, uh, it's called the, 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 the Four Spiritual Laws. It's, it's sort of the, the, uh, uh, the centerpiece of Campus Crusade's ministry. And in the Four Spiritual Laws, the very first one is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, I think that first statement is quite true. God indeed does love you. When you look at that second statement, it's, off, it, it's easily misunderstood. To tell someone that's an unbeliever that life, that God has a wonderful plan for you, has the potential to set up soil in someone's heart for being short-lived with no root. How different is that sentiment from turning on TBN and watching Benny Hinn or Joyce Meyer or Ken Copeland that, having, that receiving Christ means that you get your best life now. And it completely ignores what Jesus told us, that life would actually be more difficult when we came to him. That Paul said, through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. That when those hard times come, the reaction is, I didn't sign up for this. Forget this. That's what I get for becoming a Christian? Count me out. I don't want anything to do with that. You know, there are two books that were written about uh, uh, the, the Beatles' uh, John Lennon that uh, claim to document the time in which he spent as an evangelical Christian. And it was in the 1970s. He was living in a virtual recluse in New York City. Some of you may remember sort of that period. And um, he became an avid viewer and reader of American television evangelists. And at some point during 1977, John Lennon claimed that he had been saved. And in his book, Nowhere Man, Robert Rosen said that the final, uh, in some of the, uh, those times of uh, Lennon's life, he, cite, he cited Billy Graham as being the main influence in his conversion to Christ. Whereas another book called Lennon in America, he mentions that both Graham and Pat Patterson were the most influential people in his life at that time. That uh, that. John Lennon, for a period of time, would, would talk with people by saying phrases like, praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus. And one debate said it was only just a matter of months that this lasted for John Lennon. One other debate said it was only about two weeks. And uh, they, they wrote that one day Lennon had an epiphany that allowed him to be touched by the love of Jesus and it drove him to tears and ecstasy. He drew a picture of a crucifix. He was born again, and the experience was such a kick 
that he had to share it with Yoko. And so there's even documented cases of John Lennon calling up on the 700 Club and asking for forgiveness and asking for prayer for his life and for his marriage with, with Yoko Ono. He began taking his son Sean to Christian events and Christian theater productions. However, Yoko Ono had a husband before John Lennon who was an evangelical Christian. And she wanted nothing to do with that. John Lennon began to challenge her interest in the occult and was disappointed when she would not watch Billy Graham with him. And this dramatic conversion worried Yoko Ono. And in fact, in the, uh, in the end, Yoko Ono won. In his final years, the man who at one point said that he had been born again and forgiven of his sin wrote the song, Imagine There's No Heaven. It's easy if you try. So here's John Lennon that received the Word of God with joy. And when the toughness of his wife's views on the occult and Ouija boards and, and uh, spiritualism and all these occultish type things, he left and he was done. How many of us or people that we know have similar fates? Jesus sounds really, really good, but when it costs us something, forget it. We need to not only diagnose the current state of our soil, but also the potential that if you had everything to risk, or if you are immensely losing something for your faith, your job, your friends, your family, your children, your reputation, what is the honest reaction that you feel that you would probably have? Some of you realize that you have the potential for bailing when times get tough. We need to pray, be prayed for, and be in prayer for such people because there is incredible pressure from the outside world to burn up that part of our lives and get with reality. Verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. If you've ever had a garden that you didn't take care of, this totally makes sense, right? It doesn't take long for weeds to grow in the garden and completely overtake it. And when that happens, it gets frustrating because the weeds end up taking the precious uh, nutrients that the plants need. They swallow up the rain that comes in. They take up all the sunlight that those plants desperately need. And in verses 18 and 19, Jesus says this is exactly what can happen in our lives too. Look with me in verses 18 and 19. Others are like seed sown among the thorns. They're like the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. I think... In the church, we tend to underestimate the power of materialism and recreation. 
things that are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but things that we dive so much into that we don't even realize they become idols in our hearts. I can't tell you how many families that I've known that have fallen away from the faith because they, are, uh, because they want to sacrifice on the altar of children's sports or recreation. Just got to have one more week on the lake. The thing that they don't know is even happening to them happens until it's too late. Oh, it'll just be a season. It's just, it's just October through January that the basketball season lasts. And so after that, we'll get back. And sooner or later, someone realizes, man, it's been six months. It's been eight months. It's been a year. It's been two years since we've been in church cares in this world have come in. I can't tell you how many uh, men that have chosen to disengage with their faith because they would rather sit in their easy chair and thumb through what's next on the Netflix binge-watching list. How many men, or even women at this point, has, have we lost because of addiction to pornography? How many men have abandoned their God-given role to lead and protect their families because they're too busy rescuing Princess Toadstool? How many people have unintentionally or perhaps intentionally walked away because they're chasing the almighty dollar? You know, I'll just work this Sunday, get some overtime. And then it turns into that Sunday, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. That living the good life is better than the abundant life that Jesus promised. Some of us are living in spiritual weeds and thorns, and it is killing us. And the sad thing is, is that we might not even realize that it's happening. Perhaps we need to prune take out the weed, pull them completely out. So what kind of soil do we need to labor for? What kind of soil do we need to pray for? Look at verse 8. Still other seed fell on good ground. It grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, 100 times. Then he said, let everyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, as I said before, wants your heart to be good soil that takes his word and plants it deep. Look what Jesus said in verse 20. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, produce it, produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. So good, healthy soil doesn't happen automatically. It takes work. It takes acknowledging the weeds. It takes acknowledging the thorns, taking action to get them out. It takes acknowledging that the soil can be very rocky unless it is nourished, unless it's watered. And in doing the daily, minute-by-minute work of cultivating our faith, watering it with the Word, letting the light of God's truth grow us, we grow in faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this causes us to examine the soil of our hearts. Knowing that we need to change is the first step of change itself. And every one of us have hearts that need help. Look what Psalm 139 says. 
It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Where is your heart today? Give it to God. Let him show you where you're at. And then follow him in faith by thirdly evaluating your crop. Evaluate your crop. In Matthew 12, Jesus gives this instruction on how to recognize true faith from false faith. Now, obviously, we can't read hearts, but we can see the effects of faith. Of faith. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad, and the fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. I was talking to someone a couple weeks ago about their raspberry bushes, and uh, he had planted them years ago with the hope that they were going to be really good. And it turns out that he hadn't really gotten very many raspberries after this amount of, of years. And he concluded that they were just bad plants and he should dig them up and replant new ones in there. Why? Because a bad plant doesn't produce good fruit. Only a good plant does. And Jesus here tells us that the same in regards to our faith. Look in verses 8 and 20. And other seed fell among the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. You know, it's easy to look at this verse and get discouraged because it's easy to think that Jesus is only talking about evangelistic fruit. That if we were sharing our faith more, that if we had this, this uh, evangelistic zeal, then what Jesus is talking about here is that we should see tons of people coming to faith because we are leading them to faith. But we need to remember that spiritual fruit is more than evangelistic success. After all, there's a man named Adoniram Judson who is sort of a Baptist hero because he was a missions pioneer out to Asia. And you mentioned Adoniram, uh, Adoniram Judson to most missionaries. They're going to look at him as a hero. But here's the deal with Adoniram. He's a hard name to say. How does he greet people? Adoniram Judson didn't have a convert for the first seven years of his ministry. After 12 years of ministry, he only had 13 converts to Christ. Producing a crop of spiritual fruit is, is more about faithfulness. It's more about obedience and growth. Obvious signs that you're growing your knowledge of Christ, but also in love, in peace, in charity, in goodness, in kindness, sacrifice, and joy, and patience. All of these things should naturally flow out of us when we are Christ. So how would you evaluate your faith, your growth in faith over the last year? Would you say that Christ is more evident in your life? with the way you speak, with the way that you act, with the way that you treat people, would you say 
that Christ is more evident in you? Do you face trials with faith or discouragement and anger? When things don't go your way, does bitterness rear its ugly head? Or are you able to hold your head up and say, Lord, you are the portion and the strength of my heart. You are my rock and my redeemer, and I will trust in you. Oftentimes, it's really hard to evaluate yourself because we often don't see the food that's on our face. So if you're really serious about growth, producing this hundredfold of of a harvest here, ask someone close to you, your spouse, a friend, maybe an accountability partner that you have. Because since we are really prideful, it's hard and it hurts to do it. But there's so much benefit from asking someone close to you, in what ways have you seen Christ growing in my life over the last year? And however they answer, follow it up with, in what ways do you see that I am not showing signs of the fruit of the Spirit? And be ready for them to be honest with you. When farmers have a bad year, whether by floods or tornadoes, droughts, you know, whatever it is, they can claim insurance on their losses. As people of faith on our spiritual journey, we don't have the luxury of claiming an insurance, uh, making an insurance claim. But we have something even better than an insurance claim. We have the grace of God in Jesus Christ. There was never a person who had better heart in his soil than Jesus. Soil, I can't talk today, that had better soil of the heart than Jesus. He was perfect in everything that he did. He was morally pure, tempted just as you and I are, yet coming out of those victorious. He went to the cross to purchase the fields of our hearts, and his death and resurrection have given himself to us freely. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we can abstain from to earn it. It is freely given, and we receive it simply by faith and trust. And by receiving Jesus, we can truly live the way that we were created to, glorifying God, constantly living in thankfulness uh, by, um, by considering the ultimate sower, God himself. We, we get this by diagnosing our condition in our hearts and cultivating a love for Christ that is growing and evaluating our crop and assessing our growth in him. John Denver He's great. I, I love John Denver's music. But he got it wrong. Life on the farm isn't laid back. It's hard. It is grueling. And it can be stressful at times. But when we have hearts that are receptive and plowed for God's word, we can have lives that glorify him, lives that live to make this world a better place, lives that live to encourage others and let them know about Jesus Christ. Lives that are full of purpose, lives that are full of meaning, joy, peace, contentment. Thank God I'm a country boy. No, thank God that he has made my heart. 
a place where he can plant his seed and grow 30, 60, 100 fold. Let's pray. Father, we all have hearts that need to be inclined to you. We have hearts that are so wanting to chase the things of this world. Lord, we have hearts that so cling to our desires, our wants, our needs. And so, Father, I pray that at this moment you would be tilling the soil in our hearts, that you would be making them uh, fertile, ripe for you to plant your word deep in there, and that it would take root, and that it would flourish in our lives. Father, I pray for those this morning that might be struggling, that might be thinking about walking away from the Lord, maybe have. Lord, would you renew in them a sense God, that you are the sower. You're the farmer who loves them. You are the farmer that wants to see good uh, crops, a good yield from his word. And would you do that in the lives of us in this church, Lord? And it's in Christ's name that I ask this. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing a song of, of response.
Father, indeed, you have taken our sinful nature and you have made us new in Christ Jesus. Help us to leave this place glorifying you, being thankful for the work that you have done with hearts that are ready to not only receive your word, but to, uh, to sow the seed wherever it may go, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Thank you. Have a blessed afternoon.